Today's gospel lesson comes from the book of Luke, chapter 16, verses 19 to 31. The rich man and Lazarus. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus, in like manner, evil things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us, a great chasm has been fixed, so that those you might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. He said, Then, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them, so that they will not also come into this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. He said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone comes to hunt, comes, someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When the weather is nice, it is one of my delights to stand out on Main Street before the the worship begins to just bless people running by, driving by, biking by, walking by with their dogs. It gives me joy to give blessing, to just, I don't know what God will do with that blessing. I don't know what faith tradition people have when they're driving by. It doesn't matter to me. I just sense that the world needs more blessings given. And I've also realized how somewhat disconnected I am from those folks driving by because I don't know them. One of the gifts and joys of being in Christian community is we get to know one another. We get to love one another. We get to care for one another because we know what each other's going through when we share that. And that is a gift. But increasingly, more and more people don't have that community. And increasingly more and more people are feeling lonely and alienated and isolated. And I I ponder, how can we as a church care for the people who are driving by our church? 
I must bless about a hundred cars in maybe a half an hour. Multiply that by 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I don't know how many tens of thousands of people drive by our church every day. And I, I share this question with you, my brothers and sisters in Christ. How can we care for them? How can we bless them, whether they ever come here or not? Because that's what Christ is calling us to do. And to be is a community that blesses and cares for people outside of the church. You know, the church is the only institution, when we're healthy, that exists for people outside of it. We don't exist for each other as good and as wonderful and as beautiful as the love is that we share for one another and for God, but we exist for people outside of our church. This parable that Jesus tells about poor Lazarus and the rich man is really quite stark. The rich man feasts every day at his table while the poor Lazarus is at the rich man's gate and is happy to just receive the crumbs from the rich man's table. And if that's not bad enough, the dogs of the neighborhood come and lick this poor man's wounds. They both die. Lazarus goes to the bosom of Abraham. The rich man dies and is buried. The parable continues where the rich man in Hades is seeing Lazarus from afar and says to Abraham, would you order him to go and dip his finger into the, the waters and give me just a drop of cold water? Do you see how that rich man is still so lost in his own inward look that he's unaware that Lazarus has a name, unaware that Lazarus was at his gate and is still trying to order him around. And Abraham says to the rich man, I'm sorry, there's a chasm, there's a, a chasm between you two that can't be crossed. And the rich man says, well then send him to go tell my family to Start caring for the poor so that they don't end up like me. And the response to the rich man is, if they haven't listened to the prophets and Moses, they won't listen to a man coming back from the dead. It is a poignant story that Jesus tells to the disciples that has been told to the early church and is now ours to receive and do something with. And the word is, look for the poor man, the poor woman at your gate and care for them. Find out their name. Find out their story. Martin Luther 500 years ago said, something to the effect of, we can't feed every beggar, 
but we can feed the beggar who is at our gate. Huh? I heard of a church that sends delegations out into the homeless community with money, cardboard, and sharper, sharpies. And they, talk, they sit with homeless folks and they listen to their stories. And they say, your sign looks like it's been through quite a lot of storms and seasons. Can I buy that sign from you? And I'll give you a new piece of cardboard and a new Sharpie. And they buy these signs from those who are begging on the streets and help them make a new sign and give them money for the old sign. In doing so, they get to know the stories of these human beings, and it keeps them in the flow of the kingdom of God. It begs the question, who is at our table? The statement of welcome that the Chatham United Methodist Church discerned and wrote down and publicized in February was something that I shared with some colleagues this week uh, when 2,500 United Methodist clergy and lay people gathered in Kansas City to talk with one another, to pray with one another, to strategize with one another about what the future of the United Methodist Church looks like and how are we welcoming folks. How are we going to follow Jesus even when that may put us at odds with the denomination's book of discipline? And I shared this statement, which in some ways states right from our website and from the signs going up and down our hall, who is welcome at our table? And I don't know of anyone who is excluded from this. And if they are, let us know and we will rewrite this because we want to make sure no one is excluded from the table. These are the people that we have claimed we intentionally welcome, the hopeful and the hopeless, the young, the old, and everyone in between, the single person, the married person, the divorced person, the citizen, the immigrant, the refugee, those of any sexual orientation and any gender identity, those of any race and any culture, those of any income level and class, those of all abilities, the powerful and the powerless. we have crossed a threshold in this congregation that allows us to be a big tent church because we have stated everyone is welcome, even those whom the denomination has excluded. This congregation in Chatham has said, no, we feel Christ is calling us to include everyone. And because we've done that, that allows us to move forward with a big tent mentality that no matter who walks through our doors, we trust that God has sent them here to be a blessing and to be blessed, to become part of this Christian community that is 
following Jesus together. When, when I was at Kansas City this week at the Church of the Resurrection, one of the reasons I went was because my friend Chris Heckert said to me, you know, I went to the Church of the Resurrection a few months ago and it was a good meeting. What was helpful was it got me out of New Jersey. He said, Jeff, just go and listen to the voices that are not the same voices that we hear in New Jersey, in the Greater New Jersey Conference, or in the New York metro area, because in some ways we're in a little bubble. We're in kind of a cultural silo. Listen to what churches are saying in Iowa, and in Nebraska, in Texas, in Wyoming, in California. Listen to what is being said, and listen to what the church might be in need of. And so it was a real uh, pleasure and, pr and privilege for me to go on your behalf, thank you for your support, to listen and to speak when appropriate about ways that we as United Methodists might move forward. What I heard is that across the nation, there are churches that are widening their doors wider than they've ever done before since the General Conference in February, because they know what was voted on at General Conference doesn't reflect who they are as a congregation in, in their context of ministry. And I heard pastor and layperson across the country saying, we've got folks in our community from the LGBTQ community who feel hurt and vulnerable because of what the General Conference said. We've got parents of gay and lesbian and transgender kids who are feeling like their church that they have loved for decades has let them down. And so church after church has been discerning and deciding to put the pride flag out in front of their church. Churches in Dallas, Texas, who would never have considered themselves progressive, who consider themselves moderate, centrist, are putting the pride flag in front of their church Sunday after Sunday to say, we welcome all people. In spite of what you may have heard about United Methodists, we welcome all people. But we also heard about churches that are divided over this. And the chasm that is between Christians in our denomination and in the global church, a chasm that separates people by the way they interpret scripture, a chasm that separates people by what they think Jesus thought about sexuality, a chasm between people who welcome all folks and who only welcome some folks. And our denomination is flummoxed with how to bridge that chasm. What is becoming clear to me is that those who will faithfully walk into the future as Methodists are those who know that the church that we used to know is no more. The denomination that we used to know 
is no more. The systems are broken. The structure is broken. The book of discipline is broken, and not just on one issue. And there's no going back to what was. And that became very obvious to, to many of us who were gathered in Kansas City this week. Now, we will make attempts to change the book of discipline, but whether or not that works, the future of United Methodism belongs to those not who are right. The future of United Methodism belongs to those who have chosen to love first and foremost. You know that Jesus never told us to be right. Husbands, wives, nudge yourself, your, your partner and say, did you hear what he just said? You don't have to be right. Don't worry about it. Jesus never told us to be right. He did tell us to love God and love neighbor. Those who decide to love first and foremost all people and all creation, they will be the ones that inherit the mantle of good and faithful United Methodism. And that sounds lovely, but it will be a lot more demanding than that. The future belongs to those who can say, we've lost a lot and we will grieve those losses. But the future of this denomination and of Christianity belongs to those who say, I'm going to embrace the change. I'm not going to let the change break me. I'm going to let the change break me open. That's the choice we have. We can struggle against change all we want. But that change can either break us or break us open to a new thing that God is doing. I heard leaders of our denomination say, you know, there is not a better time than this to be United Methodist because we all know the system is broken and we all know that we can't go back and the only way forward is full on into this unknown, trusting that God has something new for us. We don't have to convince anybody because we know that the old ways don't work anymore. And friends, this may be scary, but it also may be a very fruitful time for us to live into something new, which means for local congregations, we can think creatively about what it means to follow Jesus. What does it mean to get out of our buildings in the name of Christ and care for people who need care, who may look at us with skepticism? It's an invitation for us for such a time as this, to imagine what ministry might look like, to imagine what the future of the Chatham United Methodist Church might look like, to imagine ways that we can express the love of God that we've never done before, in a way that's contextual, in a way that makes sense in Chatham and surrounding towns and the New York metro area. 
The future belongs to those who have chosen love, who have chosen to embrace change. The future belongs to Christians and churches that look for ways to care for Lazarus, who is at our gate. God is with us. Let's do the work of Christ together. Amen.